0: When I was in junior high, it seemed like all I did was ride my bike everywhere. I was old enough for my parents to feel comfortable letting me ride throughout not just my neighborhood, but the ones a few blocks over where more of my friends lived. I felt a huge sense of freedom, like new parts of a map had been unlocked to explore. But at the same time, I never thought about how this freedom extended to people who weren't enrolled in a junior high school. I didn't realize how revolutionary it was for mothers, fathers, and anyone trying to make a living. Welcome to the Reconnecting Roots podcast, where we look at the past, present, and future of American progress and culture, discovering our values along the way. I'm your host, Ryan Estabrooks. I'm Gabe McCauley, host of the TV
1: series, Reconnecting Roots. In the TV show, we look at the big picture of a topic, but here, we're able to do more of a deep dive
0: And I'll be your guide throughout
1: our story today. And I'll be out in the field, learning from people all across America.
0: Today, we're looking at the bicycle craze and how it changed our social dynamics. Gabe, do you have any fond memories of riding bikes as a kid? I imagine I was like most kids. I would build ramps made out of plywood and set up bricks.
1: And I practiced a long time to perfect my wheelie on my banana seat, huffy, complete with lightning bolts on the fenders. But most of the time that I spent on a bike was actually in the mountains fishing. My dad and I would rig up little PVC pipes to hold our poles, and we would travel for miles along the Cranberry River in West Virginia catching trout. Our bikes allowed us to cover a lot more stream than if we were by foot.
0: Oh, man. Yeah, I remember setting up ramps as well, although mine always tended to break down like when I was halfway over it. But, oh, well, it was still fun, right? You know... I think getting a bicycle is a sort of rite of passage for a lot of kids in America. For many, it's that first hit of freedom. With your palms gripping the handlebars and the pedals churning under your feet, you can practically feel the world opening up to you just a bit more. You're thinking, yeah, I don't need my parents anymore. And so of course, you know, it's time for dinner and you're begging them to feed you. For kids, that sense of being in control is a huge deal. When I was a little youngster, I couldn't wait to grow up and be able to do more things for myself. I think that's pretty common. Kids want to do things more independently than their parents often realize. But I think bicycles have been such a commonplace item for so long, over a hundred years in fact, that people tend to gloss over how important they can be. For some Americans, it's the difference between having a job and not being able to pay rent or buy groceries. Although 85% of Americans ride to work in a car every day, you have to remember that cars are still financially out of reach for many out there. It can be a catch-22. You need a car to get a job but you need money to buy a car and to get the money you need a job. Now let's take a step back and imagine you live in a time without cars. A time when you either had to walk to where you wanted to go or had to ride a horse that you and your family took care of every day. The closest train station could be miles away from your house and maybe didn't travel to the places you wanted to go to. Then suddenly, a new machine is being sold that is powered by you, but can travel a lot faster than if you were to walk. A machine that doesn't require you to feed it and clean up after like a horse. A machine that you pay for once and don't have to pay for again, unlike train tickets. The bicycle changed my world in the 1990s So I can't even picture how much my mind would have been blown in the 1890s when the biggest bicycle craze was happening. No wonder everyone had to have one. I mean, it must have felt like magic. And for those without a lot of money or those who were new to the country, it established a new way to live life the way they wanted. Technically, there were several different bike booms within our history. The first was in 1819, when the dandy horse or hobby horse style precursors started being sold. These were early forms of bicycles that didn't have any pedals, just the wheels. So you moved along by pushing yourself with your legs on either side of the dandy horse, with the wheels giving you extra momentum. But they were a little hard to control at times, and people quickly backed off of them then once pedals and cranks were attached to the dandy horse and essentially turned into something that looks much more like a typical bicycle a new craze began it was in the late 1860s when these were being mass produced and sold across the world they were what we typically call a high wheel bicycle meaning they had one giant wheel in the front with a much smaller wheel in the back and i've actually rode one of these really how did that happen well I didn't actually ride one, but
1: you know I sat on one, which I'm, I'm sure it's about the same thing. I was hanging out with Mike Wolf, renowned bicycle enthusiast from the show American Pickers. He showed me a few of his bikes from his rather extensive collection, including this high-wheeled bike that he pulled out of a barn somewhere years ago. I think it was the first high-wheeled bike he'd ever owned, and he can still ride that thing like it's an easy thing to do. I mean, just getting on it was kind of difficult. <laughs> The bike had its own stand that would kind of balance it so you could put one foot on a little peg near the back, try and grab the handlebars, which are pretty far from you at this point, and in a leap of faith, you jump up on this thing and try and get on that saddle. It's pretty tough. But Mike's the perfect person to talk to about bikes, and it's not just because he's an expert historian, but because he's just so in love with them, and his passion for bikes is infectious. I mean, you could tell that bikes
2: were more than just a hobby for him. So imagine standing on a street corner around 1885 and seeing someone ride by on one of these bikes, a high wheel bike. They were higher than you, they were up and it was such a big apparatus and you were just like, what is going on? I mean, literally to me, it would be like seeing a, a spaceman. Yeah. You know, you're just like, what is that underneath this person? And, you, and you're watching them with their own power move along the street and you're fascinated
0: but it didn't quite catch the entire country by storm. For starters, riding one of these high wheel bikes wasn't the most comfortable thing in the world, with many of the tires being forged from iron. That's why these types of bicycles were nicknamed bone shakers. The high wheels also intimidated a lot of potential riders. I mean, could you blame them? Look at that thing. If you ran into something or fell while riding one of those, you're a lot higher up in the air, so the impact could really hurt. But something else about these high wheel bikes kept people away, the cost. They were expensive. The common American couldn't rationalize the high price companies were asking for. So instead, high wheel bicycles became the shiny new toy being flaunted by financially well-off men who had cash to spare. In order for the masses to truly fall in love with bicycles, something needed to change. Enter the safety bicycle. These new bikes were smaller, with evenly sized wheels, which were much easier to use. New tires made riding smoother, especially considering the conditions of roads back then which tended to be made of gravel and cobblestones, or just plain old dirt depending on where you lived. People fell in love with them and the craze had begun. Bicycle manufacturers raced to continuously add improvements, trying to convince more and more people to buy the latest model. It was pretty great
1: to get to nerd out with Mike about all the aerodynamics, the shiny chrome, and in particular, all the ways the bikes influenced just about everything else that was being invented around that time. I mean, he could walk you from one single advancement to the next and explain how it made an impact, not just on bikes, but on all kinds of industries and inventions of that time. It was fascinating to see how he could make it all connect
2: the innovation around the turn of the century from bicycles and you look at innovation with aeronautics motorcycles cars all of that bleeds together completely and there were a lot of patents that were put forth by the Mm -hmm. bicycle industry that changed all of that and back and forth and there were a lot of car manufacturers and there were a lot of motorcycle manufacturers that were building bikes because it was such An innovative time in this country. And all of that stuff that they were riding back then, when you get in your car today or get on your motorcycle today, it's all reflective of then.
0: To realize how big of a deal this was, you also need to think about what was available to do in the 1880s before the craze really went big, or rather I should say, what was not available to do. I'm not talking about modern inventions like video games or cell phones, obviously those had not been invented, but even things like basketball didn't yet exist. Baseball was kind of a thing, but there were hardly any leagues you could join where most people lived. Towns and cities were smaller, so even public places like swimming pools weren't available. So whether you were a kid, a teenager, or even an adult, the fun things you could do in your hometown were limited unless you happened to live in a bigger city. And then along comes this mode of transportation that makes it possible for you to ride to nearby towns and cities whenever you want. And on top of that, it was fun to ride with the added benefit of getting exercise. Everyone wanted to have one, which meant more companies wanted to capitalize on this new trend. But it was something that was really sweeping the country to the
2: point where if you were a manufacturer of anything, you started manufacturing bicycles, because there was such a need in America for bicycles. And as that need progressed, the prices started coming down.
0: The rapidly declining cost of bicycles is what truly helped revolutionize the way regular working class Americans live their lives. Freedom to travel was no longer just a rich person's luxury. bicycle craze was seen as a way of democratizing access to more parts of the country for everyone. The lower-classers now had a feasible way to travel. This meant the workforce changed dramatically in the 1890s. More people were able to have steady jobs at places that were out of reach beforehand. Immigrants especially took to the bicycle as a way to find work and familiarize themselves with their new home. Brand new jobs were created that utilized the bicycle, such as delivery workers. The barriers separating classes in America took a giant hit and those walls started to come down. Not that there weren't any bumps along the way though. The upper classes who enjoyed not being bothered by poorer people on the street now had to get used to the fact that citizens of all backgrounds could travel the same routes they frequented. The elite certainly tried to push back and were pretty vocal about their dissatisfaction with the new status quo. When cyclists lobbied for smoother paved roads, carriage owners a.k.a. well-off people who could afford horses and carriages in the 1890s, tried to stop their momentum and even went so far as to say they preferred driving their carriages on bumpy roads. But in the end, cyclists won. The roads got better thanks to their efforts and the craze was too big to stop at that point. The availability of bicycles was also a huge benefit for the freedom of women. You have to remember, This was a time when women were still decades away from even having the right to vote in America. Many of them were dependent on men for their transportation needs. Now, they had this fantastic new tool that enabled them to be more free and independent, making it easier for them to meet up and form groups. In fact, Susan B. Anthony and Elizabeth Cady Stanton apparently said that women is riding to suffrage on the bicycle. With so many women pedaling across America, a change occurred in the types of clothing being made for them. Victorian era fashion was still popular when the bicycle craze started, but the clothes were restrained and modest. Basically, they weren't made for riding around in. So, the industry adapted. Skirts and dresses became shorter to allow greater mobility, which also meant that ankles were (gasps) exposed. Bloomers and pants evolved in the same direction, giving women more practical options. The mere act of riding alone, without a man, and wearing functional clothing was seen as a statement in and of itself. Author Francis Willard wrote in 1895, if women ride, they must dress more rationally. If they do this, many prejudices will melt away. And people definitely noticed. Print and advertisements started depicting what they called a new woman for the 19th century a woman who was seen as highly educated, career-minded, interested in sports and equality, and nine times out of 10, these ads pictured women on bicycles. But the craze didn't last forever, partially due to its own popularity. 300 manufacturers were making bicycles in the United States alone and were pumping out new models year after year. At a certain point, everyone who wanted one just about had one. To stay competitive, companies were forced to slash their prices and take a hit to their bottom line. They would sell more units, sure, but with profits gone, the company started folding one by one. The bicycle inspired inventors to combine it with engines, which resulted in the motorcycle, which a few years later led to automobiles being made. The car became the shiny new thing rich people went after, especially after many of them abandoned their bicycles once the middle and lower classes were able to afford them. At the end of the century, the United States Census said of the bicycle, Few articles ever used by man have ever created so great a revolution in social conditions. Although bikes took a backseat to cars over the next few decades as the transportation machine of choice, the impact of the bicycle craze was felt and would continue to reverberate throughout our history, even now. We have so many different ways to get around, but bikes are still being used as a tool for those who may not have a lot of money or options to get to where they need to go.
1: There are companies that are trying to help everyone gain the ability to ride around town. When I was in Birmingham, Alabama, I got to visit a place called Redemptive Cycles, and the people there are really thinking about these things.
3: Redemptive is all about redeeming bikes from garages and closets, Uh and using them to serve our low-income Um, and homeless neighbors here in Birmingham. Uh, We want to be able to help them redeem themselves and maybe get out of a bad spot or a piece of bad luck by earning themselves a bicycle.
1: Redemptive is a special organization. They don't just exist to sell bikes, they make their community better. And they're a great example of having a passion for something like bikes and finding a way to serve a need through their passion. And they have a term, transportation equity, and they used it a lot when describing their mission. Transportation equity. Yes. What does
3: that mean? So for us, we believe that social equity, a big component of that is transportation equity. We believe that our streets should serve low-income and homeless community members just like they serve someone privileged enough to own a vehicle. Um, And we believe that providing a bicycle helps to equalize that a bit, allows people to get around and use those streets in a more complete way.
1: I've got a lot of choices for getting around, but why bikes?
3: Well, we think bikes are a really, really efficient means of transportation. costs only about 4% of the cost of a car. Maintaining a car for a year, that's a big deal. We're in Birmingham, Alabama. The public Mm -hmm. transportation network is maybe not up to snuff with (laughs) places like L.A. or New York. And so it would be exceedingly difficult to live in Birmingham and not have a motor vehicle if Mm -hmm. you wanted to get back and forth to your job or even if you wanted to go get groceries. I
1: asked Catherine if I could have a bike from the shop. She said, sure, you can earn a bike. Redemptive Cycles has created something called the Earn a Bike Program. It allows individuals, particularly those with low income, an opportunity to come work at the shop and put those hours toward owning your own bike. So you're not only working toward a bicycle to own, but you're also learning how to fix and take care of your bike, hopefully making it a bike that you can ride and enjoy for a long time. How many people has the Earn a Bike program served? Uh, In
3: 2017, we served 153. In the four years that the program has been going, we served just over 300.
1: And do you see a lot of those individuals come back? Are they a part of the community now?
3: Yeah, all the time.
1: Do you have any success stories you could share with us?
3: Sure. Um, We had an Earn a Biker named Chuck that earned his bike just before Christmas 2016. He was a little bit down on his luck. He'd been living in an emergency shelter. Um, he really used the catalyst of earning that bike mm-hmm. um, to get himself a job in short order and allowed him to start cutting hair at a barber shop downtown, get back and forth to work even more efficiently. He now lives down in Ensley. Um, for a while he was commuting to Ensley with his bike and he's gotten really stable in his life position and so he has a car now, he's moved in with his girlfriend, they're caring for her child. Um, and he came back this Christmas and bought a gift Um, for that little girl. And he was really proud to buy a bicycle from us. And that was a really fun moment. And he was just tickled pink.
0: Something I think a lot of people forget about, myself included, is the cost of parking, especially in big cities. Gabe, you and I live in the Nashville area, and sometimes I am just completely gobsmacked. I'm talking outright flabbergasted at some of the parking fees in the city. I remember trying to find parking for a concert at the Ryman Auditorium, and the first lot I went to was trying to charge me more than $20, which was about the same price I paid for the concert ticket.
1: When I first moved to the Nashville area, I knew all the secret lots or the side streets where I could find a free parking spot. Those places are long gone. If you wanna park downtown, you might as well get used to paying for it. And parking was something that came up a lot when talking about the advantages of riding a bike. And it's probably why so many bike share locations are popping up and becoming so popular. It's not only fun to ride a bike on a nice day outside, it potentially could save you a lot of stress when it takes parking out of the equation altogether.
3: In a city like Birmingham, parking is becoming more and more scarce. It's actually easier for me to ride my bike places and not have to worry about parking or pay for it.
0: Those parking costs add up. When you're barely making ends meet, Every single dollar counts, especially if the cost of parking your job costs the same amount as your lunch or your dinner. Modes of transportation have rapidly expanded and we live in a time of choice where we can call up a Lyft driver on our smartphones to pick us up at our house if we don't want to drive. In fact, now you don't have to go out at all if you don't want to. Dozens of services deliver everything from groceries to medicine to restaurant food right to your door. But if we live in an era of plentiful options, we need to remember that these options aren't feasible for many Americans. Their choices can be slim, but the bicycle is still a pillar of equality that extends access to those who may not otherwise have it. And that idea of democratizing access to every American is one of the core values of this country that has stood the test of time. The ways in which we travel will undoubtedly change in the future, but the freedom to roam where we want, whether for leisure or for survival, should never be left in the past. Thanks for listening to Reconnecting Roots. To learn more about the TV series, watch video clips, and more, go to reconnectingroots.tv. Feel free to rate us or leave a comment on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts so we can keep the conversation going. Until next time.